holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. This is the first episode of The Next Best Thing from our brand new studio right here at 199 Cook Street, still in Brooklyn, still in Bushwick. Thank God we are in this studio. I don't know if you noticed, but it's a friggin' blizzard outside. A true blizzard. White out blizzard. And... I'm not one to get anywhere early ever. I have it timed down to a T how long it takes me to walk virtually everywhere, including our old studio. And if I wanted to get to my show that starts at 10 o'clock on time, I just simply had to leave by 9.45. What? And that was cutting it close. If I really wanted to have some breathing room, I would leave at 9.43, 9.44. But you get the idea. This is a little closer to my apartment. Thank God it is, because if it wasn't, I would probably have missed the first five to ten minutes. It's a, f- I mean, truly, I really want to say it's a twister. It's a twister, but no, it's not a twister. It's a, it's a blizzard, you see. And I was, wa- oh God, I'm really actually kind of sad because I was trudging my way from my apartment here to the studio And it's been snowing all day. I don't think it stopped snowing at any point throughout the day. And the wind's blowing. I'm battling Mother Nature and Father Time. Why not? And it's windy. It's terrible. I'm dying. But I'm trudging my way here. I'm doing okay. You know how sometimes you, when you're walking in the city, in nature, outdoors, whatever, you're kind of getting a false sense of the wind and the weather because of where you are between buildings? Well, there was a nice brick wall kind of really shielding me from the worst of the wind. And when I got to the end of that brick wall, my umbrella, my favorite umbrella, didn't just do that thing where it blows inside out. I'm, I swear to God, I'm holding my umbrella by the cane-like handle, you know, where it goes, because that swizzle so that you can hang it on poles or whatever. It's got that loop. I'm holding that firmly in my hand. I get past the wall. The wind blows my umbrella so hard that it doesn't go inside out. It just breaks off. The handle breaks off into my hand. (laughs) So it stays intact. There's just two pieces now. There's the handle, which is in my hand, and the rest of the umbrella, which is flying down the street. I mean, it was, it was a goner. It's a goner. Oh! My favorite umbrella. Rest in peace. That's unfortunate. So I had to trudge the rest of the way here without any umbrella. It's, you're lu- I'm lucky to be alive is what I'm trying to tell you. Man, I hope everyone is safe. I hope everyone has stayed inside, stayed warm, and still has power. Listen, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on in the news, what's been going on in the world. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. Here's what's making news tonight. Okay, so 
what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world. Now, this is a little actually outdated, but it's something that I meant to play for everybody last week because it's something that I've asked myself many times during the Trump presidency. Yes, I know it's over and I promise we won't talk about it much, but I do briefly want to go over this one thing. Okay. Okay. You know, everyone, there was a lot of speculation back in 2015 and 2016 when Trump was running for president the first time that it was not to be taken seriously. It was a publicity stunt. He was doing it to get a good negotiating position with NBC. All those things I believe are true. But as we both know, sitting here today in 2021, things took a wrong turn and he actually ended up being the president. Now, with that in mind, I always ask myself, okay, so how will he handle this? Early on in his presidency, I really did think to myself, okay, listen, he's been a buffoon. He's been a carnival barker. He's been outrageous and incendiary all throughout the campaign. Now that he has found himself actually in the Oval Office, now that he actually has the job, surely, surely he will snap out of that realize the seriousness of his position and try to do a good job. And you know what the real tragedy is, folks? And I've said this before, and it's hard to even kind of fathom now, but I did hold out hope. I did believe, and part of me still believes, that Donald Trump, had he just dropped the act and stopped trying to live up to all the craziness that he promised during the campaign, he could have been an okay president. He really could have. Why do I say that? Because throughout the years, in fact, as recently as like 2010, 2011, 2012, there are interviews, you can find them on YouTube. There are interviews with Donald Trump where he says things that I completely agree with. He says things about guns. He's not for guns. He hates guns. He grew up in New York City. Okay, he's not a gun lover. He had reasonable stances on gun control. He had very reasonable stances on pro-choice, being pro-choice. He was pro-choice. He had glowing things to say about Hillary Clinton. I mean, and he wasn't running for anything at that time. So if I have to pick and choose between actual campaign Republican Donald Trump and this guy giving interviews in 2012 when he was just promoting The Apprentice, I'm going to go with The Apprentice guy because he had nothing to lose. He wasn't running for shit. And he grew up in New York City. So this is all an act. Had he dropped the facade and just kind of tried to do a decent job, I think he could have. But he didn't choose to do that. He chose to go a different route. And now here we find ourselves looking back on the experience and my, my oh my, what could have been, what should have been, what wasn't. He didn't choose the right path. He didn't choose to try and do right by the American people, most people. He tried to do right by the group of nut jobs who elected him in the first place. And how did that go for him? Rachel Maddow gave a great monologue on this the night before he left office. So the night before 
Joe Biden's inauguration. And it's long, but I'm going to play it for you because I just think it is so, it's such a good kind of reflection on what he did, what he's done, and where he finds himself today. So take a listen and we'll talk about it on the other side. If Mr. Trump could have seen into the future to this day, to know what it was going to be like this day, to know what he would have wrought and brought down upon himself by this day, do you think he would have run in the first place? I mean, honestly, don't think about how he thinks about the country. We still don't understand that, but we know about how he thinks about himself and his own interests. And he is leaving office with the main legitimately open question on the last day and the last night of his presidency being, will he try to pardon himself to avoid future federal prosecution and potential federal imprisonment for his crimes? He is leaving office tomorrow with this, with this conundrum of how he's going to keep himself out of prison. He couldn't even pull a Richard Nixon in the end because apparently he does not trust that his vice president would pardon him if he resigned, like Ford at least did for Nixon. He couldn't even count on that because he can't trust his vice president to do that for him, not after he sicked a murderous mob on his vice president less than two weeks ago in the hang Mike Pence attack on the Capitol that he directly incited. I mean, the president leaves office with his second, his second Senate impeachment trial still pending. No president has ever been convicted in a Senate impeachment trial. Donald Trump stands a real chance of it, though. He leaves office with his campaign chairman and his deputy campaign chairman convicted felons. With his most long-standing political advisor, Roger Stone, a convicted felon. With his campaign manager, Steve Bannon, under federal indictment and awaiting trial. With a criminal investigation of himself and his business underway in New York and possibly another criminal investigation pending against him soon in the state of Georgia. With the last two banks on earth that would still do business with him pledging now to never do so again. One of them closing his accounts and calling on him to resign the presidency. The other one is the one to which he has personally guaranteed over $300 million in outstanding loans, which are soon coming due, with no one having any sense of how he will possibly pay them. With his business interests cratering at home and across the globe, his longtime fixer and lawyer is also not only now a convicted felon, he's one who has cooperated and is cooperating in an ongoing way with multiple ongoing investigations into the president, including the criminal bank fraud and tax fraud one that is ongoing in New York. His niece is suing him to get the inheritance she says he stole from her. He's soon going to be deposed in a defamation case brought by a woman who says he raped her and who says she saved a dress with his DNA on it to prove it. The company that was lined up to broker the sale of his now flagship property, his D.C. hotel, that company now refuses to be associated with him and will have nothing to do with the sale. The city where he was born and raised and lived his whole life before the White House, New York City, has canceled all its Trump Organization contracts. He, of course, in the middle of his one term in office, said good riddance to New York and moved to Florida, apparently out of some combination of spite and tax interests. But even still, his neighbors in Palm Beach, Florida, are asking that town to enforce zoning and tax rules in order to prevent him from actually moving in there full time. And the PGA won't put tournaments at his golf courses anymore. And he's banned from Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. 
the only president in U.S. history to have ever lost the popular vote twice, to have been impeached twice, the only defeated incumbent president ever to use violence by his supporters to attack the U.S. government to try to force his continued hold on power. He leaves tomorrow at dawn, slinking out before the inauguration of the man who soundly beat him. Other than that, how was the play, Mr. President? Was it worth it? If you could have seen today, if you five years ago could have fast forwarded to see me say that on TV, and it's all true. If you'd known how this it would go by the end of it, would you still have done it? You will go down in history as unequivocally and inarguably the worst president in American history with what may literally be the rap sheet to prove it. That's what you did there. I mean, pretty clear and pretty straightforward you well she said you she was speaking to him directly as if they were sitting in a cafe just having a heart to heart you will go down as unequivocally and inarguably the worst president we have ever had and there's the rap sheet we've got all the experiences and misery to prove it it's here on the record yeah jackass i often ask myself about this because I think about, okay, like, okay, let's say eight years ago, eight years ago, Donald Trump was just this, you know, larger than life kind of blowhard character, a New York city character. He was thought of as this successful reality TV guy. I'm not going to lie. I watched one season of the celebrity apprentice. I enjoyed it. I met Donald Trump a couple times. He was very charming. You know, that's just the truth. He could have gone down in history as just this really rich, really famous guy. Been remembered forever. But instead, because of the choices he made in the last few years, he's going to be remembered as no one's going to remember him as some TV guy. He's going to be remembered, as Rachel put it, you will go down in history as unequivocally and inarguably the worst president in American history. That's pretty harsh. Don't know about y'all, but that's pretty harsh and it's pretty true. And um, I just wanted to share that with you. Moving right along. Okay, so next item of news. So Biden's done a lot in his first 11 days. Can you believe he's only been president for 11 days? You know what makes it better? The fact that we haven't been hearing from Trump, as you might remember, you heard Rachel just say he is banned from Twitter. He's banned from Facebook, banned from Instagram, banned, I think, from YouTube. So we don't have to hear from his bloated ass at all. And it's glorious. We didn't have to hear his dumbass takes during the inauguration. We didn't have to hear his ramblings during these negotiations for the COVID relief bill. We haven't had to hear from him at all, and it's glorious. I never want to hear from him again. I never want to hear from him again. Now, so Biden's done a lot in his first 11 days. They talk often about the first 100 days. Well, let's talk about his first 11 days, shall we? You know, he has reinvigorated the COVID task force. He's bringing in actual qualified doctors. He has, you know, he's been increasing the vaccination rates were already up to 1.2 million vaccines a day. 
And hopefully that'll just continue to increase. But he's also done other things aside from the virus. You know, he's reversed a lot of the shit that Trump did, like rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and rejoining the World Health Organization. He's reversed the trans-military ban. I mean, looking at environmental regulations, he's putting the ones that Trump did away with back into play. Like, for example, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline. That was no small thing. I mean, the amount he's been able to do in just these first 11 days really has been more of a counterbalance to Donald Trump's four years than anything we could have imagined. So he's on a good track. And yet, with all these glowing reports so far, I'm worried. Frankly, I'm worried. Not about Joe Biden. I think he's done a good job. And frankly, I think he'll be a good president. I think he's fine. I'm worried about Democrats in general, in particular, their leadership, not Nancy Pelosi. So that really only leaves one person. I'm talking about our own New York Senator, Chuck Schumer. All right. So this brings us to our next item of news. So last week, Chuck Schumer sat down with, guess who? Rachel Maddow. And they took the entire hour to discuss really what his legislative agenda was going to be now that he is the House Majority Leader. And throughout the whole interview, I was just really irritated. First of all, he's in a position now where we have the majority, barely, but we do. We have the majority in the Senate, the House, and we have the White House. The time is now. Hit the ground running. Who knows what's going to happen in 2022? Let's assume we're going to lose the majority in both houses. So what are we waiting for? I don't get the feeling that Chuck Schumer is an astute politician. I just don't. He's too, how do I put this? If I were to pick a flower to describe Chuck Schumer, it would be a pussy willow. Okay? I'm sorry. But he just reminds me of a nice kind old grandpa. Once they were there, the insurrection is here. I shouldn't say there. They were here. Um, He didn't call for them to leave. I called the acting attorney general. I called the acting secretary of defense and said, get him to call right now and say, you leave right now. And then two hours later, he gave this statement that was on the one, just like Charlottesville, on the one hand, on the other hand, utter bull. Can't say the last word on your TV show. I can anticipate what it was going to be. I figured you might. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so that was him getting really amped up, I'm telling you. I I shouldn't say they were there, they were here. (laughs) But I I called him up, I said, you do this right now, and he didn't do it. Come on! I mean, just come on! Oh, Chuck. First of all, Chuck, no one cares. I mean, like, you called him up and said do this right now and he didn't do it. So what are you telling us? That you have no real pull. I mean, no one, that he wasn't taking you seriously? Okay, cool. Good story. Listen, that's just, that's all fun and games. But what really made me worried were two things. First of all, I'm not just here to shit on Chuck Schumer, okay? I'm really not. But when they sat down to discuss his the agenda of the Democrats, what they feel they need to get done during these really two years, the only two years we know that they're going to have the majority. 
the only thing that was really clear to me was that he wants to get something accomplished on climate change. That's, that's one thing he kept coming back to climate change. He was so fixated on it. In fact, that he said he feels that perhaps Joe Biden should invoke the emergency clause, call for a climate emergency. I think this is a bad idea. You mentioned climate. Um, yes. With Democrats in control of the White House and both houses of Congress, even with a narrow majority, this presents, and if you think of it, not in terms of politics, but in terms of climate as an issue, this Humanity, is- Humanity, our globe, life. This is the first real opportunity to make cli- progress on climate in, in years and years and years. Yes. It is hard to imagine enough Republicans supporting major legislation on climate that you could do it, that you could pass it and put something on the president's desk while the filibuster still existed. Is it fair to look at it that way? I think it might be a good idea for President Biden to call a climate emergency. Hmm. Why? <laughs> because there he can. it relates to what you're saying. Then he can do many, many things under the emergency powers of the president that wouldn't have to go through, that he could do without legislation. Now, Trump used this emergency for a stupid wall, which wasn't an emergency. But if there ever was an emergency, climate is one. So I would suggest uh, that they explore looking at climate as an emergency, which would give them more flexibility. After all, it's a crisis. It's a crisis. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to be honest with you. I think climate is important. I think it should be a priority, but it is not the most pressing crisis right now. And it'd be, it would be a complete disaster to call a climate emergency because it would send Republicans in a fucking tizzy. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But the climate problem, you know, we have the Paris Climate Agreement. We have John Kerry, the climate czar, who's actively working on this. And I feel like he is a, you know, that was a great appointment. He is a great leader to put in charge of this. You know, more needs to be done, but it will be. But no one, when I think of a real crisis i think of like something that is killing people here and now and i get it people are dying from hurricanes and people are dying from floods and people are dying from tornadoes and whatnot but you know what's killing people every single goddamn day that i haven't heard chuck schumer say a word about guns guns god damn it are we so full of shit you know all of those Democratic debates, they talked about the NRA and having the courage to go up against the NRA. If there was something to declare an emergency about, it's guns. Do you know why? For one thing, guns, whether it's suicide, whether it's school shootings, whether it's domestic violence, guns in one way or another are being used to kill 40,000 people a year. More than 40,000 people a year. 40,000 people a year. That is something that is killing people right now. And you know who's not going to cooperate in any way, shape, or form? Any Republicans. So if you're going to invoke the emergency clause and declare an emergency, don't be like Trump. Don't do it about something that's really, it's really inappropriate to do it. 
about. I know that the climate crisis is a, is a crisis, but it's not one that is so pressing and is like, if we don't do something drastic today, then people will die. People are dying from guns today, yesterday, and they will tomorrow. It's happening every day. It's, get, it's getting worse. 2020 was the worst year for gun violence in a long time, and there haven't been any good years in my lifetime. I mean, certainly not the past 10 years. So the emergency clause, he's talking about the emergency, invoking an emergency about climate. That would be such a... That would not be a good idea. But more than that, we're going to get back to this gun thing. More than that, Rachel Maddow asked him point blank, and she was very patient with him. She asked him, what is your legislative agenda? What do you feel has to get done over these next two to four years? And he was wishy-washy. He couldn't give clear, concise answers. Here's his first attempt. Tell me, describe to me new Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's main legislative priorities. Three things. One is climate, bold climate legislation. Two, make sure it involves workers, training workers to build all the new clean stuff we need. But one of the things that's always pained me is that so many working people think climate will leave them out when it actually will increase the number of good-paying jobs, as long as we make sure it's American jobs and good-paying jobs. And third, it also says communities of color who have been particularly left out and suffered most from climate should get some special consideration. It's a broad coalition, and it's the kind of thing that, yes, I care about. So in this case, climate is central, but jobs and dealing with racial inequities are sort of part of it. It's very good. I like it very much. What did he just say? I mean, climate, but in jobs. And I mean, it was he was all over the place. And she agrees. You know how I know she agrees? Because right after that answer he gave, he had, I mean, she had to ask him yet again. Because whatever the fuck he just said, it wasn't clear. Don't be wishy-washy. In your own words, answer the question, what are your priorities? Here's his second attempt. Take give, a look. Me your, give me your legislative priorities in your own words. Climate. Climate is obviously one of them. Uh, economic and racial inequality, okay? And the two go to hand in hand. Some, you can deal with that some ways conventionally. A big infrastructure bill, if we employ 10 million new people in a trillion dollar infrastructure bill, and these are good paying jobs, these are construction jobs, that's very helpful. In the bills we propose, we want a high percentage of those, you know, 30, 40% to be people who don't have good jobs, maybe people who got out of prison, people who, you know, this would be a real ladder up for them. Um, but there are other things. Job training is very important, education. And what I consider part of economic inequality, some people might not. I think immigration reform is economic equality because not only is it the humane and right thing to do, I'm a very pro-immigrant person. My middle name is Ellis, Ellis Island. And my daughter's middle name, we named her Emma for Emma Lazarus, the poet who wrote on the statue. Anyway. What are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? My my middle name is Ellis. Ellis Island. <laughs> and my do- She asked what your three legislative agendas are. God damn. We you know, jobs, good 
good paying jobs than immigration and I like puppies and I like the color blue. But of course, climate. I, I care about climate and people. Huh? I mean, really? You're all over the place, Chuck. And no one gives a flying fuck about your daughter's middle name. I, I love immigrants, and let me prove it to you. My daughter's middle name is Lazarus because I wanted people to think she came from outer space. I mean, cool. I like Chuck Schumer, I do, but I like a lot of people who I don't want to be in charge of the Senate. He needs some oomph. He needs some fight in him. All right, so once this is a third try, a third try, what are your goddamn priorities? Number three. If I... Uh, so that so I would say, th- and I left out the third, there were three prongs. Sure. One, climate with its concomitant parts. One, economic and racial inequality. The third is democracy. You know, the bill H.R. 1, uh, we feel so strongly about it, Senate Democrats put it in as S1. And it deals with the infirmities in our democracy, getting rid of those horrible decisions like Shelby, which made it easier to block people's right to vote. In fact, automatic voter registration is part of it. God damn it, Chuck. I'm sorry. God damn it, Chuck. First of all, democracy, that is vague. And no one, and we thought it was so important. We made, we didn't want it to be HR1. We made it S1. Okay, no one knows what that means. Like in Shelby, you know Shelby. Go ahead, I mean, you, can we even talk about Shelby? What the fuck? No one knows what that means. Bad messaging. No messaging. And one other thing. I'm going to go back to his second answer. There was a lot of meandering here, but I just have to do it. So listen to his second answer, and I'm going to stop it in the middle. Tell me, describe to me new Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's main legislative priorities. Three things. One is climate, bold climate legislation. Two, make sure it involves workers, training workers to build all the new clean stuff we need. One of the things that's always pained me is that so many working people think climate will leave them out when it actually will increase the number of good-paying jobs as long as we make sure it's American jobs and good-paying jobs. And third, it also says communities of color who have been particularly left out and suffered most from climate should... That. That. People of color who have been... who have suffered most from climate? I mean, that... look... That pissed me off because that was just a pandering thing to see. He's just, he's all over the place and he's just trying to go through the list in his head of all things that we as Democrats are supposed to say. We care about racial injustice and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to relate it to every answer all the time, even if I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm not, and I'm talking about climate. I'm sorry, but with, with so many there are so many real, concrete ways that he could have said uh, people of color really have been marginalized and really have been treated unfairly. But how is climate change one of them? I, I, don't, I don't understand it. And to me, that was just a sign that he was pandering and virtue signaling 
And I'm talking about immigration. My daughter, I have a daughter and, um, you know, uh, he, climate, climate, climate. It affects people, mostly black people. What? What are you talking about? Like, do you, why doesn't he have clear answers for this? What is most important? What have you as Democrats discussed has to get done? I'm hearing nothing. Okay, climate. What are you going to do for climate? What else? Jobs and immigrants and technology and this. It's like those are, you're being wishy-washy. This is not good. This is not good. Like if I were Chuck Schumer, I would have been sitting, waiting in the wings, waiting, hoping, doing whatever I have to do, strategizing to become Senate Majority Leader so that when I did, I could get right to work and I was going to do this, this, and this. This is what we have to get done. And here's who we have to finagle to get it passed. I mean, all this time spent, you know, negotiating with Mitch McConnell. What the fuck, Mitch McConnell? Worry about Joe Manchin, for God's sake. Worry about the Republican in the Democratic Party, for God's sakes. Do what you have to do to get stuff done. But here is why I'm really angry. You know, it bothers me that he meandered as much as he did. He went through, he basically went down the list of things that he felt as Democrats he had to say. You know, climate, 17 times immigration, racial inequality, and of course, democracy. You know what he didn't mention once? Guns. He didn't mention it once. How could he not even have thought of it? That pisses me off. That means it's really not even at the forefront of his mind. And that's unacceptable. I can't believe that. You know, that Sandy Hook happened in 2012, the end of 2012. And by that time, we didn't have both houses of Congress and the White House. We only had one. And so they tried to get something done after Sandy Hook and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because Senate Republicans wouldn't even vote for universal background checks. They couldn't get something done after Sandy Hook. And since Sandy Hook, we've had Orlando, we've had Las Vegas, we've had so many goddamn mass shootings, not to mention the people who die every single day that we don't even hear about. This is the time. This is our chance to do something about the fucking epidemic of gun violence. And they're not even thinking about it. It's not in the forefront of their minds. It's not a priority. It's not even mentioned. That is unacceptable. Oh, that is so fucking unacceptable. And if nothing happens on guns in these two years, because I don't know what's going to happen. This first midterms in 2022, chances are Democrats will lose either the House or the Senate or both. And good luck getting anything done at that point. The time is now. Do whatever you have to do. God damn it. You know, when Sandy Hook happened, we didn't have, we didn't have the majority. We didn't have the House, Senate, and the White House. Well, now we do. So why are we sitting and waiting? How can we possibly justify that? I just, I can't even believe it. So Chuck Schumer, 
has lost. A, I mean, I am not feeling good about his leadership. A lot of talking, a lot of planning, a lot of, well, I'm doing this and, you know, let's see some action. You know, I'm a big believer in show, don't tell. So this was an interview. He kind of got lost in a corn maze of words. Fine. Let's see how his actions play out. Moving right along. Along that, those same lines, also in the news lately, has been a congresswoman, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's from Georgia, and she's an embarrassment to the country and the world. <laughs> Truly. It's come out that she's a big gun lover. She's a QAnon conspiracy theorist, but she's also a gun lover. And uh, she was recently exposed as having harassed and made fun of and basically attacked both online and in person Parkland students, students from Parkland High School who experienced a shooting at their high school. She went after one of the students named David Hogg, and it was caught on tape. David, why are you supporting the red flag laws? If there had been, if Scott Peterson, the resource officer at Parkland, had done his job, then Nicholas Cruz wouldn't have killed anybody in your high school, or at least protected them. Why are you supporting red flag gun laws that attack our Second Amendment rights? And why are you using kids to get to, as a barrier? Do you not know how to defend your stance? So I'm walking. He's got nothing to say. Sad. He has nothing to say because there really isn't anything to say, you guys. He has nothing to say because he's paid to do this. Guess what? I'm a gun owner. I'm an American citizen. And I have nothing but this guy with his George Soros funding and his major liberal funding has got everything. I want you to think about that. That's where we are. And he's a coward. He can't say one word because he can't defend his stance. Yeah, you guys. Like, it's really sad, you guys. He can't say anything because I'm a fucking, like, 55-year-old woman who still is trying to act like I'm in high school and I'm going to attack this kid. You guys. It's really sad, you guys, because I'm an American. Shut the fuck up! She called him a coward. This is a kid who experienced a sh shooting at his high school. He's a teenager. This is a grown woman attacking a teenager and then going, making a video, you guys. Hey, you guys. Like, aren't I tough and cool attacking a kid? And then she went on to be elected as a member of Congress. That's great. Great country we got here, isn't it? Well, David Hogg, the boy she was harassing, the boy she was literally attacking, he was, at, he was actually interviewed on CNN just to kind of comment on this, and he made two good points. Here's the first one. None of us want to be doing this, but we have to because sadly, corrupt elected officials like Marjorie Taylor Greene are in Congress and would rather choose to protect guns uh, than children. And it's just a horrific reality. You know, can I can I just point out how ridiculous it is that it's on the survivors of gun violence to stand up to gun violence to be the ones to try to end it? Why we have why do we have elected officials if that's the case? Why can't they do their jobs? And you know. She talks as well about, you know, saying that she's an American citizen, almost as if implying I'm not just as American as she is or any of us aren't simply for not wanting our friends to die anymore. Yeah. That's just horrific and disgusting. Why is it on survivors of gun violence? You know, these people, it's people like Marjorie Taylor Greene just openly attacking and bullying this kid. This literally he's a kid. He was in high school at that time. He's fresh out of high school now. 
You know, someone who's in the same boat as Marjorie Taylor Greene would be Alex Jones, pushing conspiracy theories, crazy notions, you know, people having a pedophile ring in a pizza shop. And he also pushed the notion that Sandy Hook Elementary, that disaster, was staged, that it was fake, it wasn't real, they were all actors. And he basically encouraged his followers to attack the families, to attack the moms and dads who lost their six and seven-year-olds to a lunatic who went to their school and murdered them right before Christmas. And they've been attacking them relentlessly ever since. There was this guy, he had a the little boy named Jesse who was murdered. He's had to move multiple times. He's had to change his um, phone numbers. He's had to go basically live off the grid and they still find him and harass him. What, you know, how can we live in a country and let this happen? I mean, like, it just makes me so depressed and like ashamed, ashamed. We should all be ashamed that These things keep happening, that nothing has been done about it. This, you know, ashamed that it is not the first thing on our minds. Yeah, we talk about it when someone shoots up a big event or a big, you know, a school or something, which is obviously horrible. Those That stuff should never happen. But why? Why does it fade from our consciousness? You know, why aren't we still talking about Sandy Hook? Why aren't we still talking about Orlando? Why aren't we still talking about Vegas or Parkland or Columbine or Virginia Tech, Oak Creek, all this stuff? It's just a matter of time until the next one. It's just a matter of time until the next one. Why are we waiting? Because, you know, those people are human beings. And when the next one happens, they're going to be dead. People will be dead. More people will be dead. And for all the good things I said that Joe Biden has done, again, 11 days in office, I recognize that. But for all the good things that Joe Biden has done, he too hasn't mentioned this. He hasn't said anything about this. And this kid, the same kid who was attacked, that's the other comment he had to make. He noticed as well. But now that there's a new administration, can we just end on this note? Are you seeing any progress? Are you hopeful? Or where are you with your mission? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that. And, you know, I think that the Biden administration honestly needs to do a bit of a better job of talking about gun violence, you know, uh, in the first place. There are a lot of challenges that we understand that they've had to deal with. Um, such as the pandemic, the major recession, the climate crisis, and others. But we also need to realize that we have an American epidemic on our hands that is killing nearly 40,000 Americans annually, and was at a record level last year. With some, uh, in some demographics, the number of you know um, individuals affected going up nearly 40 percent in the past year. We need to confront this head on, and I really hope that the administration listens to us and actually acts on creating a national director of gun violence prevention. Make good on your promise that you had during the campaign to take this on and do that. We understand there were challenges, but we also need to confront this as well. And as Kamala Harris uh, said uh, in an NPR interview right right after they were elected, you know, we can multitask. It's not just about doing one thing, but we can do many things. That's right. And why isn't there a national director for gun violence prevention? 
that's, you know, like an equivalent to John Kerry's position, but for gun violence prevention. This, you know, it's an outrage. Like, ugh, it just, I don't know. Look, I know it's been 11 days and hopefully something will happen, but it needs to happen. It needs to happen now. Like the fact that it hasn't happened is indicative to me that it's not at the top of their minds, which is not good. It should be. God damn it. This is the time if we to get anything done. We have to do something. I just, I don't know. I, you know, I do. I get worked up about this because this is killing people every day. And like a large portion of the gun deaths that we see each year, yeah, they are suicides. But that's not any less tragic. It's just as tragic, almost more so because think back to when you were like in middle school. I mean, honestly, you know, who in middle school doesn't have go through rough patches? And when I say that, I mean want to die. Honestly, teenagers who might need help. Think about how many times you you just got real worked up as a middle school or whatever and wanted to die. I mean, honestly, there are times, there were times in middle school and stuff when I remember, you know, switching schools, missing my friends, struggling in pre-calculus, not feeling like I was doing well or, you know, feeling like I was letting my mom down and just looking fucking ugly. Who doesn't look ugly at age 13? And I just think, you know, if there had been a gun in the house, if there had been a way if there had been anything that could just, in a snap decision, do something drastic, I don't know what could have happened. I, but I can tell you this, I never really wanted to die, just like I don't think most people really do, really want to die. And it's just, there are so many different levels to this, and it, it needs to be taken seriously. It needs to be a priority. It has to be, God damn it, because how could it not be? It's only getting worse. And until we actually do something about it, take action to make it better, it's going to continue to get worse. He's our only child. And he died on Friday. I'll never have another child. Columbine. He's gone. Virginia Tech. Here we are again in the aftermath of another... Uh, Terrible, inexplicable, shocking, and painful tragedy. This time in Las Vegas, which happens to be my hometown and Cleto's hometown, Cleto Senior's hometown. Oak Creek. At least 59 people are dead. Hundreds of people were wounded in what they say was the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history. Newtown. You know, the, the grieving that the country feels is real. The sympathy, comforting the families. But it's not enough just to feel bad. How many more? How many more? We want the people that come here to say that was... How many more colleges? How many more classrooms? How many more movie theaters? I can't tell you how angry I am. It's just awful. And no parent should have to go through this. No parent. How many more houses of faith? How many more shopping malls? How many more street corners? How many more? To have a kid die in this kind of a situation, what, what has changed? Have we learned nothing? 
now to the latest in that deadly shooting rampage in Virginia Beach. More 12 people lost their lives. Police say the shooters showed up here heavily armed, ready for battle. Two handguns, extended magazines, a silencer, slaughtering people on three different floors of this building behind me. Police in Aurora, Illinois, are responding to reports of an active shooter at a manufacturing plant. Students in the West Aurora District are now in a soft lockdown. A manhunt is underway in Louisiana after police say that five people were killed Saturday in two separate but connected shootings. The shooting spree happened about an hour west of New Orleans. A married couple are among the victims. Police have identified their 21-year-old son as a suspect. Today we learn the names of women who were shot and killed yesterday inside a bank in Sebring, Florida. The suspect appeared in court, but the motive remains a mystery. The shooting happened shortly after 12 on Wednesday at the SunTrust Bank in Sebring. Investigator C. Saver entered the bank wearing a bulletproof vest armed with a gun. He forced five women to lie down, then he shot them. How many more? Enough. 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 More than enough. And if anyone, the reason it also kind of strikes me that it wouldn't be, you know, something that Joe Biden would want to jump on and make sure that we are starting work on immediately is because he was the one put in charge of making something happen after Newtown. So he should know the urgency. What happened in Newtown broke his heart. It, it was devastating for everybody. You could see when he spoke just how um, sickened he was by the whole thing. May God bless the memory of the victims, heal the brokenhearted, and bind up their wounds. This time, Obama decided to try to do something. It was like, if this isn't going to do it, then what is? He handed the job to Vice President Joe Biden and told the staff to make something happen. It was in a context of uh, sorrow, uh, extreme, uh, I mean, anger and frustration about why can't we do something about this? It was like enough is enough is enough. Put together something for me, Joe. Put together something for me, Joe. And nothing happened. Well, now you're the president, and don't let this happen again, please. Don't let this happen again. I want to begin by saying that Hillary and I are profoundly shocked and saddened by the tragedy today in Littleton. Our nation is shocked and saddened by the news of the shootings at Virginia Tech today. This afternoon, I spoke with Governor Malloy and FBI Director Mueller. I've spoken with Governor Tim Kaine and Virginia Tech President Charles Steger. I have spoken with Governor Bill Owens and County Commission Chair Patricia Holloway. And made it clear he will have every single resource that he needs to investigate this heinous crime, care for the victims, counsel their families to stand ready to assist local law enforcement, the schools, the families, the entire community during this time of crisis and sorrow. Stand ready to help 
local law enforcement and the local community in any way we can during this time of, of sorrow. We've endured too many of these tragedies in the past few years. I know the other communities that have been through this are also ready to do whatever they can to help. The exact toll has not yet been confirmed. We don't know yet all the hows or whys of this tragedy. And each time I learn the news, I react not as a president, but as anybody else would. Schools should be places of safety and sanctuary and learning. We must do more to reach out to our children and teach them to express their anger and to resolve their conflicts with words, not weapons. They had their entire lives ahead of them. Birthdays, graduations, weddings, kids of their own. The impact is felt in every American classroom and every American community. Whether it's an elementary school in New Newton or a shopping mall in Oregon, or a temple in Wisconsin, or a movie theater in Aurora, or a street corner in Chicago. These neighborhoods are our neighborhoods, and these children are our children. Perhaps now America would wake up to the dimensions of this challenge if it could happen in a place like Littleton, and we could prevent anything like this from happening again. And we're going to have to come together and take meaningful action to prevent more tragedies like this, regardless of the politics. Today, our nation grieves with those who have lost loved ones at Virginia Tech. Our hearts are broken today for the parents and grandparents, sisters and brothers of these little children, and for the families of the adults who were lost. We hold the victims in our hearts. We lift them up in our prayers, and we ask a loving God to comfort those who are suffering today. May God bless the memory of the victims. And in the words of Scripture, heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. To the people of the community of Littleton, I can only say tonight that the prayers of the American people are with you. Thank you very much. If you enjoy this show, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, basically wherever podcasts are found. If you can find podcasts there, you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. And of course, feel free to follow me. I'm at J-O-N-B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. -E That's J-O-N, no H. B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. -E That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. <laughs>